Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of influenza viruses found under the microbiology section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 26-year-old woman presents to the emergency room for three days of high fever, chills, muscle aches, a severe headache, and a sore throat. She works in a nursing home but has not had her flu shot yet this year. She has a past medical history of systemic lupus erythematosus and hypothyroidism. A rapid strep test is negative, and a rapid antigen detection test for flu is positive. She is started on oseltamivir for this infection. Let's continue with an introduction to influenza viruses. Remember that the influenza virus is classified as an enveloped, segmented, negative-sense, single-stranded RNA virus with a helical capsid. It is considered an orthomyxovirus and is transmitted via respiratory droplets. In terms of the epidemiology, annual epidemics often occur in the winter. Demographically, this affects both adults and children, though with higher frequency in children. Risk factors include advanced or young age, pregnancy, immunosuppression, morbid obesity, and pulmonary disease. In terms of the etiology, influenza A and B are causes of seasonal epidemics, and they can originate from animal strains, such as the avian flu A and swine flu A, which is H1N1. In terms of the pathogenesis, the virus has surface proteins hemagglutinin and neuraminidase. Hemagglutinin binds to sialic acid and allows for viral entry into cells, so this is the target of the influenza vaccine. And neuraminidase allows for progeny virion to release from cells. In terms of the genetics, the influenza viruses have eight segments in the genome, so they undergo genetic or antigenic shift. This is a reassortment of viral genome segments, such as between human and swine strains, which can cause pandemics. They also undergo genetic or antigenic drift. This is random mutations in the H or N genes which can cause epidemics. In terms of prevention, this is with an annual flu vaccine for those that are six months or older. One type of vaccine contains multiple killed viral strains that are thought to be likely to appear during flu season, and this is typically given intramuscularly. Another version is a live attenuated vaccine, and this is given intranasally. In terms of the prognosis, it may lead to severe bacterial superinfections, most commonly with Staph aureus, strep pneumoniae, or haemophilus influenza, and it may be fatal. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms may include systemic symptoms which will predominate, such as high fevers and chills, myalgias and malaise, headaches, nausea and vomiting, and some patients will have a cough or sore throat. On exam, one may have cervical lymphadenopathy. In terms of further imaging, chest radiography is indicated if pneumonia is suspected, Findings may include a consolidation or infiltrate in ground glass opacities. In terms of further studies, one can perform a rapid antigen detection test, which is most commonly used. There can also be detection of RNA on reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction. And when making the diagnosis, remember that this is based on clinical presentation and confirmed with laboratory studies. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about upper respiratory infection with distinguishing factors being that upper respiratory symptoms often predominate rather than systemic symptoms. In terms of treatment, 
Remember that the mainstay of treatment is supportive care, and one should avoid aspirin in children, as this can cause Ray syndrome, which leads to hepatorenal failure. Conservative options include supportive care. This is indicated for all patients. Specific modalities include hydration and antipyretics. Medical options include oseltamivir or sanamivir. This is indicated in patients with severe disease or who are at high risk of severe disease. And finally, complications related to influenza include secondary bacterial infection, myositis or myocarditis, and central nervous system involvement. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to influenza viruses, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 49-year-old woman presents to her primary care doctor in late December with malaise. She reports worsening fatigue, myalgias, headache, and malaise that started one day ago. She works as a lunch lady in elementary school. Her past medical history is notable for a distal radius fracture after a fall two years ago, but she is otherwise healthy and takes no medications. She does not smoke or drink alcohol. She is married and has three adult children who are healthy. Her temperature is 102.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 39.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 101 over 61. Pulse is 112 beats per minute and respirations are 21 breaths per minute. On exam, she appears lethargic and uncomfortable, but is able to answer questions appropriately. Breath sounds are normal bilaterally. She has started on intravenous fluids and a pharmacologic agent for treatment. Which of the following is the most likely mechanism of action of the drug being used to treat this patient? And the answer choices are... Choice 1. DNA polymerase inhibitor. Choice 2. Neuraminidase inhibitor. Choice 3. Protease inhibitor. Choice 4. Reverse transcriptase inhibitor. Or choice 5. RNA-dependent polymerase inhibitor. The best answer to this question is choice 2, neuraminidase inhibitor. The patient in this vignette presents with fever and multiple systemic symptoms in December. This presentation is consistent with influenza, which can be treated with neuraminidase inhibitors. Influenza A and B are orthomyxoviruses that cause seasonal epidemics from late December to March. Influenza classically presents with fever, chills, headache, malaise, myalgias, and occasionally respiratory symptoms. The treatment for influenza is often supportive, but in severe cases, neuraminidase inhibitors such as oseltamivir and sanamivir can be used. Neuraminidase, also referred to as sialidase, is a viral enzyme that hydrolyzes sialic acid bonds between newly formed virions. Therefore, neuraminidase inhibitors will prevent new virus particles from being released. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. DNA polymerase inhibitors such as acyclovir, gancyclovir, foscarnet, and sedafivir. These are used to treat a variety of viral infections, including herpes simplex virus, cytomegalovirus, and Epstein-Barr virus. Choice 3. Protease inhibitors include ritonavir, indinavir, and amprenavir. These medications are primarily used in highly active antiretroviral therapy to treat human immunodeficiency virus infection. Choice 4. Reverse transcriptase inhibitors include zidovudine, didanosine, lamivudine, and efavirenz. 
they are both nucleoside and non-nucleoside RTIs. These medications are primarily used in highly active antiretroviral therapy to treat HIV infection. Choice 5. An RNA-dependent polymerase inhibitor that is used frequently in clinical practice is ribavirin. The medication is used to treat hepatitis C, respiratory syncytial virus, and viral hemorrhagic fevers. Finally, a bullet summary. Oseltamivir and sanamivir are neuraminidase inhibitors that block viral release and can be used to treat influenza. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A scientist is studying the influenza A virus. He focuses on two strains, one from humans, H7N1, and one from horses, H3N8. He takes cells from chickens and co-infects these cells with both influenza strains. From these chicken cells, the scientist isolates a new strain and finds that this new strain can infect human cells. He further characterizes the new strain's hemagglutinin and neuraminidase descriptions as H7N8. What term best describes the process that underlines these experimental results? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Conjugation Choice 2. Transformation Choice 3. Transduction Choice 4. Genetic drift or Choice 5. Genetic shift The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Genetic shift when two influenza strains infect the same cell, they can swap segments to create a new viral subtype that has components from each parent strain. This process is termed genetic shift, or antigenic shift. The influenza virus is an enveloped, negative-sense single-stranded RNA virus whose genetic material is packaged into eight segments. In this question, the rearrangement of viral segments leads to a new subtype that had the hemagglutinin gene from the human H7N1 virus plus the neuraminidase gene from the horse H3N8 virus. This resulted in a new virus with the profile H7N8. As demonstrated in this question, genetic shift can lead to rapid changes in influenza virus by creating new viral subtypes. People who have not encountered these new subtypes may not have immunity against them. Because of this, genetic shift can cause influenza epidemics, such as the 2009 avian H1N1 epidemic. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Conjugation refers to the transfer of plasmid DNA between bacterium. It does not describe changes in viral strains. Choice 2. Transformation refers to the ability of bacterium to take up DNA from their environment. It occurs naturally and is also a common laboratory technique. Transformation does not refer to changes in viral strains. Choice 3. Transduction refers to the movement of bacterial DNA from one bacterium to another via infection with the bacteriophage. Choice 4. Genetic drift describes the occurrence of random mutations in viral genes, which lead to slight changes in influenza strains. It does not cause a mixing of neuraminidase and hemagglutinin genes between two different viral strains. Finally, a bullet summary. Influenza is an enveloped, negative-sense single-stranded RNA virus with an eight-segment genome. This segmentation allows for genetic shift, that is, the reassortment of gene segments between two viruses that co-infect the same cell. That's all for this review about influenza viruses. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community 
for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.